0: Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. And I'm going to read this for us this morning. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we need you once again this morning as we open your word, as we hear your truth. May you soften our hearts. Help us to see who you really are. As we continue our series on Mark, and specifically with this passage, we want to see you. We want to see your great power. We want to see the lessons that you are teaching us this morning. And so, again, open our eyes to that. Open our eyes to that truth. We just pray, Lord, that we don't just want to just change our behaviors, but we, we want to just have affection toward you and our affections will continue to grow as we walk out these doors. Help us now, Lord. May your spirit be upon us for the next 40 to 45 minutes. Lord, we love you. We praise you. All these things we ask in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, over the next couple weeks... um, as I just mentioned, we're going to see Jesus, how Jesus really is the master almost, over almost every uh, situation, if you haven't realized that already. And so what I wanted to do for us this morning is I, I wanted to map this out as best as I can and show you where we're going, so to speak. So um, just as we read today in our text, Jesus and the disciples uh, face a great storm. And then next week, he, he encounters a demon-possessed man that starts in chapter 5, where he shows uh, really his power over darkness or over the demons. And then chapter 5 will conclude with Jesus' power over disease, even death, amazingly. And so if you've been with us the past two weeks, you'll find that Jesus is teaching among the crowds. Going back to our text in chapter 4, look at verse 1. It says, and he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And so we, we, we're in the setting here where, where Jesus is, is teaching once again. Okay? We also find that the, that the disciples are there the entire time from what we could tell. And then if we fast forward to verse 33 and 34 in the same chapter... It says this, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And so Jesus' teaching to his disciples was very personal and very direct, as we see here, as the text indicates, that he he even taught to his own disciples privately. Nevertheless, what we've concluded through these parables, is that it's not enough just to hear the word of God. And I think we could all agree on that, that it's not enough just to hear the word of God. And here's what I mean. mean, We could sit here and listen to the word preached Sunday after Sunday. We could say, you know, that, that was such an awesome sermon. It was a great outline. Such a great expository sermon. However, it should never end there. The point of Jesus' teaching is that people, listen to me, the point of of Jesus' teaching is that people would listen, believe, and practice it. That was the point of his teaching. It's the same thing in almost any context where we teach the Bible here at Gateway. For example, we have our biblical counseling adult Sunday school class. And you could just sit in class and listen for the next 20 weeks but you could sit in and never change, sadly. But that's not the point. It's just to sit there and just to listen. We, we want you to change. We want you to sit and attend Sunday school or church with engaged hearts. So our prayer is that as you walk through these doors, you're not only, again, trying to change your behavior, but your affections for Christ will continue to grow more and more. So that as you're going through life and you run into a difficult situation, you you could recall Pastor Rod's sermons. More importantly, that you would remember Jesus' words, his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. Therefore, my charge to you today as we begin our text is to not only listen and see Jesus, but also to move and practice these things. Let me dive back into chapter 4 here. Now, if we just kind of look from afar, as we look over this text, what we really find here is Jesus is is the first test for Jesus' disciples. It's really put into action. And it it took me a while to figure this out. I was reading this over and over and over again. And so as we come to the end of chapter 4, we find the very first practical test. And it starts with the disciples' faith. So we've seen that the disciples have seen and he, they've heard a lot through, through Jesus' brief ministry. Yet, we come to this very tiny yet powerful passage before, powerful passage before us. And it's a story that we're all too familiar with. So the question is, church, do they pass the test? And that's what we're set to find out. Sometimes as I was reading this, I felt like they must have dropped their sermon notes in the water as they were going to the boat. And we do that sometimes. We, we kind of stuff our sermon notes into our notebooks or Bibles or our drawers and we just kind of forget about it. But what we're, going, what we're going to find here is that the disciples somewhat failed the test, but they also learned something new. And just like the disciples we're all learning and we're all making mistakes together. For some of you, you may be going through a test of your faith this morning. Or you may have gone through a recent testing of your faith. And so now you're able to look back and see how God took you through that circumstance. Whatever circumstance you're in today, I want you to know this, friends, that a time will come when your faith will be tested. And I think we've been reminded of that lately. We were just in prayer meeting and, and we, were, we were just praying for the, the, the storms that are damaging Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico and the earthquakes that have damaged Mexico. Or as we, as we scroll through our feeds and, and we listen or, or watch the news, there's this imminent threat of our safety from North Korea. We're also... Here at home, there's this tension, this ongoing tension of division within our country. Look, I'm no prophet, but you witness all these things and you wonder what's going to happen next. Church, our faith will be tested whether you're ready or not. And this morning, we're reminded of that once again. The test of of faith for the disciples is now and it's at the end of chapter four. We'll see them tested But more importantly, we're going to see Jesus and his power once again. Therefore, my aim is this. Mark shows us that when our faith is tested, Jesus displays his great power over all of life's storms. Let me say that again. Mark shows us that when our faith is tested, Jesus displays his great power over all of life's storms. So church, are you ready to go through this story? Let me take us to our first point this morning. It's what I call the humanity of Jesus among the disciples. The humanity of Jesus among the disciples. You know, before we look at Jesus' power over all these situations, let's look at the humanity of Jesus. The writer here, Mark, he sets this very short story up, being very concise and to the point. And so additionally, what I, what I want us to see is, is the small details that Mark points out. And it starts with what I call the setting around the sea. The setting around the sea. Look at verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go, let us go across to the other side. And what we find here before us is that Jesus had a long day of teaching, right? As we just heard the past couple weeks, Mark's, Mark let, lets us know that by giving us the time of day, which I'll talk more about this, this later, but it's evening right now. And so he was going from from the west side to the east side of the lake, as studies have shown. And so just to give you just a picture of the lake, it's right here, um, and measures about eight miles wide, wide, and its circumference, it's about 32 miles uh, long. And so that's the picture there. So again, we're going from the east side to to the west side, or excuse me, from the west side to the east side, and so... um, Really, I would turn this map around. He's right now in the region of Capernaum, which is up top there. And he's trying to get to the other side with the disciples. And they would say it's the Gentile side. So he was on the Jewish side. Right now, they're ready to take a trip to the Gentile side, right? So that's what Jesus is doing. He's preaching to the nations. Very ordinary for us to observe at this point again. Another thing we find is that Jesus and the disciples' boat was not the only boat in the area. The text reads that other boats were with him, and so here's what a typical boat would look like, just to give you a visual. It holds about 15 men. It was about 26 feet long, uh, seven and a half feet wide, about maybe this high, four and a half feet high, maybe a little lower. Um, doesn't again doesn't tell us how many boats there were, uh, but they were not alone. And so you have the disciples. Okay, you have the other boats but you also have the crowd that was before him, that he's about to leave. Again, somewhat of a very, very normal day. Then we get to Jesus. We get to Jesus. And it's what I call, really, the sleeping son of God. Now, I don't mean that to be a knock on Jesus, but let me just kind of explain that to you. Look, look at verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. And it says, just as he was. And then verse 38 says, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Let me go back to that phrase, just as he was. Look, G- Jesus started his day with, it, with, the intera- with his interaction with the, fair- with the scribes back in chapter 3. If you remember that a couple of weeks ago. That's when his day started, right? He had a long night of praying, praying. Um, for the disciples and he started he started calling them name by name he was naming his disciples right he was creating his ministry and then he woke up and he he had a he had a battle with the scribes back in chapter three and then from then on he 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 was confronted by his family remember they were they were calling him a lunatic they were trying to bring him in for ministry and then he taught all day think about this he taught all day under the sun inside the boat, because there, was, there wasn't that much room there. He had to teach from the boat to the people on the shore there, to the crowd. So after a long day, he didn't change into his jammies, so to speak. I mean, Jesus was so exhausted, he just got into the boat, just as he was. He didn't wash his face or brush his teeth. I mean, he was tired from teaching. And if you ever preached up here, you, you could actually attest to this studies have shown that the energy used for preaching a 30-minute sermon is equivalent to an eight-hour workday. Therefore, Rod works about 16 hours up here every Sunday. It's why you want to give him a break from preaching. <laughs> and I know some of you who, we have quite a few teachers here in the room, so you could also relate to Jesus' uh, situation as well. Right After a long day of teaching and, and talking and laboring, you're tired. There's a lot going on when you're teaching under the hot sun after confronting so many other people. The Savior teacher was tired, and he was ready to knock out right when he got on the boat. It, it reminded me, um, just last week, my, my, my daughter, we took our daughter to, um, to the beach, and she just had this, this long day. She had no naps and you know, as soon as he put her in the car, in the car seat, you know, she, she was talking about a lollipop, and next thing you know, it was like 20 seconds in, she was like, oh, daddy, lollipop. And she's like, you could hear her just snoring. And we just started laughing. That, that's how I think Jesus was at this point. He was just exhausted. As soon as he got into the boat, he's like, just as he was, I'm just going to go to sleep. Knocked out. A lot of us felt tired like this before. Hopefully you're not sleeping right now. And also take note, in the the other gospel accounts of this same exact story, all the writers put great stress that Jesus was sleeping. So ordinarily, you have to ask yourself, why is this there? Who even cares that that he's sleeping? Well, let me speak to some of you today. Maybe, just maybe, we have some skeptics in here this morning. Maybe you're, you're toying with the idea if Jesus is real. And so th- this sheds some light on his life. There are those, like other religions, who think Jesus was a good teacher, that he was a good man in general. But there are also others that believe that Jesus is all but a fairy tale. And so, again, I want us to think through this text for this, for this one moment. If you're writing a story about a great king and the great savior of the world and trying to give, convince everyone that he is God... You don't include him sleeping. You'd only want to include him doing all the miraculous things. Let me give you another example. If if I was writing in my journal and and I was kind of observing my daughter sleeping next to me, you know, I'd just be writing, hey, my my daughter's sleeping next to me and she's in her pajamas. It would just be a normal account of what I'm seeing. And the same goes for this story. Mark is just writing what he sees by virtue of Peter. There's nothing exciting about Jesus sleeping. But what we should take away from this is that Mark's eyewitness account of Jesus' life is so ordinary and real that it must be true. Therefore, you may be skeptical of Jesus this morning, but ask yourself, why include the small, non-essential details if Jesus wasn't real? For those who do believe, let this reinforce that Jesus is in fact very real. And he's sleeping. And we get this idea that it's okay to rest. It's okay for Jesus to rest as we see. I mean, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is rest. We could find rest in him. But that's not the point of our text this morning. The point I'm trying to make is that Jesus' humanity is on display for us to see. And what may seem in, insignificant is, is helpful for us to observe at this point. Jesus, in one sense, is like you and me. He's fully human. Remember, Mark's point, the writer, Mark's point is to show, show us who Jesus really is and what he's come to do. That's his point. So he's going to keep showing us who Jesus really is, he's going to show us that, that Jesus is God. He's going to show us that he's also human. He's fully God. He's fully man. And this is God in the flesh right now. This is God incarnate, and he's sleeping. So as we move to our next point, let this, let this be in our minds. And what we find here is that we go from Jesus as man to really Jesus as God. This is what we're moving into. Jesus as man to Jesus as God. We move from the sleeping son of God to the powerful, almighty God. Let us be reminded of his power once again in our next point. It's what I call the power of Jesus over the storm. The power of Jesus over the storm. Before we get to the work of his power, let's see the buildup of this story here. It's, It's what I call first the danger of the storm. The danger of the storm. Look at verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. According to many accounts, including modern-day descriptions, it wasn't unusual for bad storms to occur on the Sea of Galilee itself. The Sea of Galilee is is around 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by mountains that are around 1,400 feet above sea level. And so because of its location, it's subject to sudden and violent storms as the winds come over the mountains and drop onto the sea. And that's what usually caused all these storms over the Sea of Galilee. So again, storms were common in the area. And what we find in particular about this storm, we find that it says here that it was a great storm. And so Mark translates that as, as a mega storm. That's the word that, that's used mega storm. In Matthew's translation, he gives us a little more than a, stor- a storm occurring. The word used to describe the storm in Matthew is earthquake, which basically means there, there was a great shaking on the sea. The, the waves were, were, repeat, were, were repeatedly crashing into the boat. Again, it was as if the lake was being shaken. In Luke's account, he refers to black thunderclouds and floods of rain. So there's a lot going on, this mega storm. And so what what maybe the disciples thought would be an eight-mile smooth trip across the sea turned out to be something more. But to the disciples' credit, I'd be scared too, and and I think many of us would feel the same way. Sorry, I lost my place here. <clears throat> you know, a lot of us are familiar with earthquake, or earthquakes in the area. I mean, they're, they're common in California in one sense. Um, and, and if a massive earthquake were to occur, I, I, I think we'd all be shaken, if not devastated, as we're, we're seeing in the news right now in Mexico. Some of you may recall, I mean, I live in San Ramon, and, and some of you may recall a, a couple of years ago, there was a series of, of small tremblers throughout San Ramon. There was about 70 earthquakes, little, small, tiny earthquakes in San Ramon. And so uh, my family and, and I, we, we probably felt a handful of them. I, I remember one time waking up in the middle of the night because of an earthquake, and I, and I could see my, my bookshelf just kind of swaying back and forth, and, and it was like, And, you know, they is grabbing hold of me, like, what's going on? I was like, well, it's just a small little tiny earthquake. It was just tiny. It it lasted for about 10 seconds. And so the smallest of earthquakes was shocking to us, no matter how how common they're supposed to be here in California. And so the disciples experienced something all too common, but they were also afraid at the same time. The same goes for us. We could experience something all too common, as we go about our daily lives, yet the moment something goes wrong, it shakes us, it rattles us, and, and we, we, we get uncomfortable. Maybe we, we, we become afraid like the disciples. Nevertheless, we, we start to understand their fear because, look, we see the reaction in verse 38. It's what I call the doubt of the disciples. I use the word doubt because we find it in their question And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Here we find the experienced fishermen calling out to the carpenter. Right? These were the the, the seamen. This shouldn't be new to them. We talked about that, right? They knew what was going on. But for some reason, they were rattled. And what we find here is really is that the external circumstances of the disciples, the storm itself, caused an internal fear for their own lives. One commentary put it this way Strictly speaking, this is a story of two storms on the surface of the waters, the other in the hearts of the disciples. In other words, the disciples came to Jesus asking, Do you not care that we're about to die? Let me read to you the disciples' reaction according to the other accounts from the other gospels. In Matthew, this is their reaction. In Matthew, it says this, save us, Lord, we are perishing. In Luke, their reaction is this, they went and woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. And of course, in our account, in Mark, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you see the theme going on here? You could just picture all the disciples at this moment tapping him, shaking him, and calling out to him. And so what I I find here is is not a type of doubt, doubt that they didn't necessarily believe in God. But really, it's a mixture of faith and unbelief in their hearts. Does that make sense? It's a mixture of faith and unbelief in their hearts. Here's what I mean. When fear arises in our lives, our thinking becomes cloudy. It's natural for us to be scared, even when we're in familiar surroundings. And so the disciples began to panic. Their faith was being tested. But here's the thing, listen. They went to the right person, but they neglected to fully trust in him. They went to the right person, but they neglected to fully trust in him. We also find that it wasn't the storm that woke up Jesus Right? What woke up Jesus? It was a disciple's cry. Jesus never heard the storm. The storm surged on, the waters quaked, thunderstorms were coming, but the Lord sleeps. One writer put it this way, he's not at nature's mercy, nature is at his mercy. Therefore, we find that Jesus awakens to the cries of the disciples. Let me give you an example of this. You know, behind, behind our home, there are these big trucks that make their deliveries because we, we live behind grocery stores. And they, they come as early as like 5 a.m. You know, at first, we were kind of startled by them because they were making these big, loud noises as the pallets were being delivered. But after a while, we were able to kind of just sleep through them, sleep through all the loud noises at 5 a.m. every other morning. But here's the thing. Even though we could sleep through the big trucks now, We'd always hear our child cry, no matter what time of night it is. Whenever our baby would cry, we would immediately get up and go to her. What I mean by that is this, the cry of our own we hear, but the noise of the outside world we sleep through. The Lord sleeps through the storm because he is the Lord over the storms. But listen, he hears our cries. This illustrates the very question the disciples had. Do you not care that we are perishing? The disciples asked. Church, the Lord does care. He cares so much that he died on the cross for you. And if you're here this morning and, you, and if you believe and repent in him, you, he will hear your cry. Going back to our text, Jesus shows us that he cares by revealing his power, and we find it in verse 39. It's what I call the words of Jesus, the words of Jesus. Look at verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and, and said to the sea, peace, be still. And so we, we find the power of Jesus with his words. Peace, be still. This translates by, by Jesus saying, be silent or, or, or be quiet. Literally, to, to, to muzzle In just a few simple words, Jesus' power was on display for the disciples to see. And then, then we read what happens. After he calms the storm, he says, be silent. The wind ceased, and it says there was a great calm. Sometimes when we witness extreme weather conditions, there's a process, right? To where the storms gradually slow down. But that's not what's happening here. As as soon as Jesus commanded the storm to be quiet, it says everything ceased and there was a great calm. We see the same word used about the storm. What was once a mega storm is now a mega calm. There was no slow digression of the storm, but sudden stillness a calm that surrounded all the boats in the area. It was, you know, I, I just think of it like a movie. It was as if the scene all of a sudden cut to another scene. Right? What was once chaos. is now just calm. Speaking of movies, there's a scene, if you remember, there's this old movie called The Ten Commandments starring uh, Charlton Heston. And if you recall the scene where Moses is parting the Red Sea, and so, you can you, you actually YouTube this. Um, you see him standing on the cliff, and, and he raises his hands, and, he, and he's holding the staff in hand. And you have Charlton Heston playing Moses, and he says this, Behold his mighty hand. And then you see his staff, and his arms are all rising, and, and then the, the Red Sea parts. It's very dramatic stuff for a movie. But here, we find Jesus controls the megastorm with a few simple but powerful words from his mouth. No grand gestures, because he is God. The Creator displays his power over creation. That, my friends, has not, by, has not been seen by anyone, even the disciples, up until now, that he has power over creation. Danger comes to the disciples, and Jesus hears their cry, and he calms their fears in the same way danger will come to you whether you like it or not but I want you to know this that you could go to him you could call to him in your most dire situation situations I charge you to trust in the sovereign Lord to go to him to believe in him I'm not just saying that because it's the right answer I'm saying this because Jesus has the power to move your heart toward him so that you could trust in him when times get ugly. He may not bring calm to all your troubles, but hear this, he will calm your heart. He will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you will see his power but I'm praying that you will ultimately see him as Lord over your life, that he is God. Which brings us to our last point. As Jesus calmed the fear and the storm, the disciples are faced with something else now. It's very interesting. It's what I call the deity of Jesus exposed to the disciples. The deity of Jesus exposed to the disciples. And what I mean by this is is we think we saw the fear in the disciples through the storm, right? They had a great fear. But here's the thing. They ended up seeing Jesus in another light. And I'm going to get to this. They had a greater fear. And it starts with the rebuke of his disciples, the rebuke of his disciples, the rebuke toward his disciples. Look at verse 40. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It's a mild rebuke that we find here. He's basically saying, listen, he's basically saying this. Haven't you seen what I've done up until this point? I mean, Jesus has given them enough evidence to see who he truly is up until this point, right? We've gone, we've only gone really through the first four chapters in Mark and this is what he's done. Listen, let me just give you an overview of what of what we, we've seen Jesus in, in the light of Jesus that he's in, what, the works that he's doing, right? Jesus is proclaiming the gospel. That's how he begins in chapter one. He's proclaiming himself. He's calling all people to repent, to believe in him. And if you remember, he healed the man with an unclean spirit, but he, he also healed others as well. He healed many of diseases. Remember the crowd in chapter three, as they were pushing against him, they were trying to touch him, he cured the leopard, the leper. He showed us his power to forgive sins with a paralytic. He healed the man with a withered hand. Look, even the demons believed and called out to him as a son of God. He exercised authority in calling the disciples to himself. He displayed great patience with the religious leaders as they were accusing him of being Satan. He taught with pure wisdom through the parables. Yet Jesus asked, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Let me ask you something. If the disciples were afraid and showed very little faith with Jesus at their side, how much more are we lacking faith? How much more do we forget the times Jesus has supernaturally acted on our behalf? And so, if we take an honest assessment of our own lives, I could assure you that we've shaken our fists toward God and said, Are you not there? Some of us might be saying things like, Do you not see what I'm going through, Jesus? Look at my marriage. Do you not see my illnesses? Do you not see my kids and all that they're going through? Do you not see my dark situation, Lord? To use the words of the disciples, sometimes we say this to Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus responds to us saying, do you know who I am? I've carried you all your life and you're sitting right here right now under the word of God. Church, do you see who Jesus is through Mark chapter 4? The disciples had a front row view of who Jesus is, yet they were still shaken by the storm. But here's the thing. They're even more shaken now. Look at verse 41. Look at the reaction in verse 41. That's what I call the reaction of the disciples. As Mark continues to peel back layer after layer of who Jesus is, the disciples are just beginning to see who he truly is at this point. And we find that they're overwhelmed by something else. It says they were filled with great fear. They were just filled with great fear. Now they're, they're filled with great fear again. They were scared in the presence of the storm's power. But here's the thing. They're even more scared now because they realize They were in the presence of God. And it comes in the form of a question from the disciples. This is how it concludes. Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? You see, the disciples wanted a friendly, familiar, human Jesus. But they got more than what they bargained for at this point. They got God. They saw the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw God, the Lord over creation. And their reaction says it all. They lacked faith in the storm, but they were, again, they were even more shaken in the presence of the Lord. What's slowly taking place is what Jesus was talking about in the previous section with the parables. If you remember this, this is what Pastor Rod said last week. He says, from the outside, we don't know what's going on. But from the inside, God is slowly working on his kingdom. Church, Jesus is slowly working on his kingdom through the disciples. And it's found here first in in this story. It's found in the testing of their faith. Jesus is slowly working on his kingdom. And in order for his kingdom to press forward, he's going to reveal himself through this gospel and he'll ultimately finish with his death on the cross. The reaction we see here from the disciples is the same reaction we're going to see at the cross. And this was the disciples' first test of their faith. Yet through the testing of their faith, they saw saw something greater in Jesus Christ. Friends, are you being tested today? If you are, look at Jesus and see something far greater through his power I want you to see that he is God. Let me conclude by, by asking you a couple questions. Church, are, are you listening this morning? Are you listening to the word of God? Are you believing? Where is your faith this morning? Is it being tested Let me reference something before I close. In Matthew's account before the storm, Jesus tells the parable of those who hear the word of God and obey are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone, sort of, hopefully, some of us know this story. Let me read this story, this parable to you. It's found in Matthew chapter seven, verses 24 to 27. It says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Where is your foundation? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your job. Where is your foundation? If it's something other than Jesus, that's where your idol is. That's where you put your hope in. And when the storms come, if if your foundation is on something else other than Jesus, when the storms come, you will sink and you will fall. But the great reminder this morning is that when the storms come when the storms come we can look at the cross and there you'll remember Jesus and how he took the ultimate storm on your behalf you'll find that when that he bowed his head and willingly took the wrath of God that we observed that we deserved and the waves of blood poured over his, our doubting hearts and made us clean friends that's the gospel and the gospel goes deeper than our greatest storms. Let that be our foundation this morning. Let us pray. Lord, this is, again, a story, a short story that we're all too familiar with. And sometimes we we could think through our storms in life and all that we've gone through and, and things that we're going through right now, but that's not the entire point of this text. The point is that we need to look to Jesus As our foundation, as our rock, so that when the storms come, we will be reminded to look to you, to cling to you, to remember the cross, to remember that you died for our sins, that you rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, so that one day we will worship you. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not believe. I charge you now to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord so that you will be safe, as the Bible says. I pray for those who are going through just life's circumstances right now, who are struggling, who feel as if they, they are being just crowded, going through just an earthquake or being shaken. Lord, remind them once again that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, be with us this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.